0: Hello and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I am your host, Austin Glidden, and today we are all, as always, we are brought to you by the App. Go check out thefilmyap.com for all things film because, you know, they never shut up about movies over there. Now you can uh, totally hit us up on social media, so you can be a part of all the fun. You can find us at Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's Facebook.com/backslash Medium Cool Pod. Uh, you can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram. We'll pop up, or at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter, and we will be there. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Send us any feedback, comments, questions, concerns, things you'd like to hear, you know, hear us uh, discuss, and whatever you want, just, like, hit us up. We'd love to, you know, interact with you. Uh, So today is really exciting because we have uh, Joe from the Film Yap. Joe has had a really busy end of the year kind of, um, uh, what do you call it, Uh, 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 award season. He's had a very busy award season. And uh, so he is finally back with us today. He's going to uh, talk with me um, and uh, help me celebrate two very important birthdays. The first is Todd Haynes, the filmmaker that brought us Carol a few years ago. Well, he made a really special film in the 90s called Safe. It's from 1995. And, um, it takes place, however, in 1987 and it stars Julianne Moore. It's really great. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, we're also going to celebrate Hayao Miyazaki's birthday. Uh, Todd Haynes was last Saturday. Hayao Miyazaki's is today. So that freaking rules. So I'm really excited to see what Joe picks. Joe has a choice between my neighbor Totoro Princess Mononoke, or Spirited Away. He's going to choose, and we're going to talk about it, and we hope that you enjoy that conversation. We will reveal what that movie is here shortly. A uh, quick preview of next week, though, before we get started with Joe. Um, next week, uh, we are going to, uh, you know, this is what we have planned. We're going to be covering Kinji Fukusaku. Now, you might be saying to yourself, who's Kenji Fukusaku? Who is that clown? Well, you know what? Uh, we're celebrating, well, not celebrating his death, um, but we're we're remembering. It's more of a, of a, of, a, of a, in memory of Kenji Fukasaku. He died uh, on January twelfth, and that's the day that our next episode will drop that Tuesday. So we thought, hey, we'll celebrate his life uh, by looking at uh, two of his most famous films. The most famous of them all. It's probably Battle Royale, which is from the year 2000. Tarantino named it his favorite film of the new millennium. Um, and it's funny because it came out in 2000. So he's had 20 years to find something better, and that's still his favorite. Uh, if you don't know anything about Battle Royale, which I'd be surprised, but it's uh, it's the movie that when The Hunger Games came out, everyone was like, Battle Royale rip off. Um, Battle Royale essentially takes, uh, it takes place in Japan and... Uh, you know, basically, the government works with uh, and uh, works with the parents of you know the youth of Japan because they're you know a, a wild bunch. And uh, there's a law passed that every year they can essentially take uh, one school classroom to uh, an abandoned island, and uh, they give them some supplies and in some cases some weapons. And you know they say, "Hey, last person alive gets to go home." Uh, and it turns into a complete and utter... Like fun bloodbath, and I don't know how else to talk about it. Middle, middle schoolers, which they're all clearly like eighteen years old, but <laughs> but like middle schoolers, um, basically running around, you know, uh, getting wild, and 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 it's very much like dark dark comedy, a lot like uh, a lot of the Kill Bill stuff in the first one, you know, where she's fighting the crazy eighty eight, and and there's all this blood, and she's you know cutting off arms and legs, and and you you just almost laugh because of how ridiculous it is. That is Battle Royale battle royale rules I love that movie and um, I can't wait to re-watch it so we can talk about it now the other film we're going to do because we're going to do a double feature the other film we're going to do uh, is um, oh my gosh oh battles of honor and humanity this is from 1973 it's the first film in a series called the Yakuza Papers and Kenji Fukasaku did all I believe five of them uh, but we're gonna do the first one, which it's a it's an old school yakuza gang- gangster flick. So you guys can hopefully watch. Uh, if if you have uh, Amazon Prime, it's it's free on there. Uh, it's it's ready to stream. So you should definitely check out Battles of Honor and Humanity. Uh, it's a really cool one. Kinji Fukasaku is just one of those really cool filmmakers. When I say cool, I mean he's like cool like his movies are there's just a coolness to them uh, battle royale kind of being its own like anomaly I think but but his old gangster films there's just something cool about it uh, and he did you know sci-fi stuff he was he was a uh, uh a a second a secondary kind of filmmaker I believe he was even uncredited for uh the Japanese sequences in the movie tora Tora, tora. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Kenji Fukusaku's had his hands in samurai movies, and I mean, just all kinds of genres. And uh, I don't know, I'm really, really excited uh, to talk about Kenji Fukusaku. So please join us next week. It'll be me, Joe, and we might have another guest. We might make this a threesome here. Um, That's a weird statement, but you get what I mean. So uh, the three of us, uh, hopefully three of us, uh, if we can get that confirmed, uh, we will have a good conversation about Kenji, Fukusaku, and we'll be looking at Battle Royale and Battles of Honor and Humanity. Again, uh, the latter came out in 1973. Battle Royale came out in 2000. Go check those out if you haven't seen them. Uh, I haven't seen uh, Battles um, Battles Without Honor and Humanity. I always forget that title, but I haven't seen Battles Without Honor and Humanity yet, Uh, but I have seen Battle Royale many, many times, and I can strongly recommend that as just a fun time, Uh, so now that you pretty much know my feelings about it, you can hear why next week. (laughs) Anyways, uh, I want to make sure we uh, have plenty of time, because as I've told you before, my New Year's resolution was to keep this at an hour and a half. I guarantee you that's not going to happen, but we're going to work at it. We're going to work at it. It's going to be great. Um, so hopefully we get that done but for now let's go see what Joe's up to and let's talk a
1: little bit about uh, safe
0: by Todd Haynes. Let's check it out
1: Happy New Year Joe hey thanks happy New Year to you
0: today we are going to be covering um, we're gonna be covering Todd Haynes uh movie safe from 1975 uh his birthday was last saturday so um we thought oh, wait, it'd be did fun you say
1: 1975?
0: no i thought i said 95 1995 you 19, is
1: 1975
0: guess what guess what it's not 1975. <laughs> it is not 1975. It is safe from 1995. I'm sure there is a 1970s movie called Safe, but this is not it. This is Todd Haynes' Safe from 1995. My bad. Uh, and his birthday was last Saturday, so we're kind of celebrating that. And uh, in in a little bit, we're going to get to uh, what Joe picked between My Neighbor Totoro, Princess Mononoke, and Spirited Away as we celebrate... Hayao Miyazaki's uh, birthday which is today January 5th so um, that will be really fun but we'll get there uh, in a little bit first I want to talk a little bit uh about Todd Haynes now now Joe I think I've told you this already uh, via text and I've've I've shared with the listeners uh, in the last episode that my New year's resolution uh, was to try to keep this uh these episodes unless there were um, exceptions that really needed it OK, so maybe some yeah. like our top 10 for 2020, that'll yeah. probably be two episodes and they'll probably be longer ones. OK, I get that. Uh, but yeah. for stuff like this, between an hour, 15, hour 30, including intros and outros. So we're going to see if we can do this. OK, right. we love to talk. Absolutely. and We love movies. So because, um, you know, you never shut up about movies. Um, okay. And so, um Anyways, we're going to go ahead and get into Todd Haynes' Safe, again, from 1995. This movie stars Julianne Moore, a lot of other people, but I will say this. Dean Norris has a small role. This is uh, Skyler's brother from Breaking Bad, uh, Mm -hmm. the the police officer, um, which is funny because he's in it for probably less than one minute. Uh, like the whole movie. Um, uh-huh. I mean, he's like a moving guy and he just is in like two very short scenes, but I noticed him the first time. I'm like, is that the guy? And then the second time I'm like, that's definitely the guy. Um, yeah. anyways, uh, basically uh, a brief synopsis and I'll add to it in a moment. It's set in 1987 and the film is about Carol, which funny enough, Todd Haynes did the movie Carol. But anyways, um, it, uh, this movie follows, uh, Carol, a typical upper middle class housewife who begins to complain of vague symptoms of illness. She, quote, doesn't feel right, um, and uh, has explained headaches, congestion, a dry cough, nosebleeds, vomiting, and trouble breathing. Her family doctor treats her concerns dismissively and suggests a psychiatrist, and eventually an allergist uh, tells her that she has environmental illness. Basically, the film follows Julianne Moore, who plays Carol, and um, the, basically, I'd say, uh, and Joe, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, I'd say the first act and the first half of the second act, so half the movie, basically, is her experiencing these kind of, like, anomaly, uh, like, symptoms uh, that no one can diagnose. And then the last half, uh, basically, is her finding kind of this weird cult for hypochondriacs, essentially, <laughs> and, um, yeah. and uh, you know thinks that she's finding something that helps and we'll get into that in a little bit uh, but mm-hmm. it's it's a really interesting movie and and I'm gonna give some accolades and some interesting kind of trivia before we start digging yep. in uh mm-hmm. box off is actually uh I did I couldn't find a budget but it only made five hundred and twelve thousand dollars which mm-hmm. for the 90s is still really low oh, yeah, um absolutely. so that's yeah that was it was not a huge thing but in terms of accolades though uh, the Village Voice voted safe best film of the 90s at the end of the decade. So that was their choice for yes. the best mm-hmm. film of the decade, which is crazy. It also um, mm-hmm. yeah. in the 1996 Independent Spirit Awards, it was nominated for best director. So Todd Haynes got that. Uh, He's nominated, that is. He didn't win. Um, and best mm-hmm. feature. It was also um, nominated for best female lead, which is Julianne Moore. And then best screenplay by Todd Haynes. So got a lot of of kind of buzz around that year. It seems in in my research to have actually gotten a lot more uh, buzz over time um, and and has kind of, um, I don't know, I think I think actually it almost like you can relate to it just as much now, which is <laughs> interesting. So it's one of those movies that I wouldn't call it, well, I, I kind of would call it timeless, but it, it, it's definitely set in that 1987 uh, kind of timeline. Um, and it is a, a film of the 90s. But uh, yeah, its its themes kind of uh, uh, are overarching, I guess. So uh, overall, critics were a fan. Uh, this was the first lead role for Julianne Moore. Uh, so that was uh, kind of a, a big deal because Julianne Moore is kind of, you know, uh, one of the Hollywood darlings, so to speak, uh, to some extent. Uh, I'm a fan, at least. And, uh, and it put uh, Todd Haynes on the mainstream map at this point. So this is safe if you've never seen it before. You're about to hear about it. Um, in terms of a little bit of analysis here, uh, you know, at the time, it was really popular for TV melodramas to do what people called disease of the week. Uh, this was not a an actual thing, but there was uh, TV shows, melodramas, soap operas, all mm-hmm. kinds of things would deal with a lot of diseases. So this was uh, definitely Haynes' take on kind of that cliche of sorts and um, you know he adds the subtlety and the like, this sly misdirection to create something vastly more haunting, I would argue, uh, than the cliche adopters would would use it for. Um, the film focuses a lot on f- on health and fitness, and I kind of put air quotes around that. Um, it's it uh, subscribes to a lot of like the self-help and fitness tropes of the time seen in everything from the aerobics classes to the diet soda that everyone drinks, which is a yeah. great subtle little thing that, you know, someone brings out a, a, a Pepsi and it's like diet Pepsi, you know, no one draws yeah. attention to it, but it's all these like little details. Um, and uh, you know, Carol's illness, uh, although unidentified has been, seen by many as an analogy for the 1980s AIDS crisis. And it was a similarly uncomfortable and largely unspoken threat, quote unquote, during the Reagan presidency. Uh, This film is really interesting. Before I get into anything, I've already talked long enough. Uh, Joe, I want to hear what you think because I'm the one that chose this uh, because I gave you Miyazaki. I let you choose that. I've wanted to see safe for years. I mean, at least a decade easy, Um, and you know, I'm so hyped that we got to watch it. I want to hear what you thought, man. Where, where do you want to take us first?
1: Yeah, it it was, it was a really an interesting movie and it, it was for me, the, the best, I think the best part of it was seeing Julianne Moore kind of in this early stage of, of her career. Um, you know, she, she kind of got, you know, hot. This was, you know, kind of the, the start of that, you know. Of Course, she you know, she hit big with you know, Paul Thomas Anderson just a couple years later, and you know, she's been in several um, Todd Haynes movies since this one. Um, but it it was really kind of fun just to see her at this early stage of her life. And the woman, I'll just say, number one, the woman doesn't age, she she looks you know, she looks maybe 10 years younger than she does now, and you know, this movie was made about 25 years ago, yeah, yeah. Um, I and I don't you know, I don't want to harp on her looks too much, obviously, but. Because um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things um, that happen in this movie that, you know, are about kind of the kind of the realities of being a woman, as as you um, as you kind of touched on. Um, I I do want to uh, touch on the 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 AIDS crisis um, uh, comparison you drew, sure. and the, and there actually is the the leader of the. As you said, what did you call it? The a health cult? Um, no, the hype.
0: The cult for hypochondriacs. The
1: cult for hypochondriacs. The leader was HIV positive. There, there yeah. is a line where, yeah, she, uh, uh, Carol's friend. I can't remember what her name is. The the woman who who greets her at the beginning and, and sits with her a lot of times. Sure. Mentions that he that he has AIDS, and um, and it's not even and it's as you said, it's not really it's not touched on all that much. You kind of mention it and then move on. You don't even really see like the usual, the usual movie tropes Would be, you know, he would have lesions on his skin and, you know, he would be sickly and, and he really wasn't like that. He was really just kind of more of a generic shyster kind of um, preacher is kind of how I took him. Um, not, not necessarily fully a shyster, I guess, but um, I think as it went along, that kind of, that kind of, Made itself more apparent, um, and and he was an interesting character as well. But um, but you know even before we get to that that stage of the film, it, it kind of captures this hopelessness of, of being a even a wealthy white woman, you know during this time frame, it kind of catches that it captures the kind of just the hopelessness of all of that. You know she's she's completely ignored. She's her doctor just as you said, just completely shrugs off and dismisses her concerns with, you know, how she feels. And it, it goes straight from, is there something, you know, what's what's wrong? And she's like, well, the tests don't show anything, so you must be, you know, imagining this. It must be stress or, you know, psychological.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, you're you're just a crazy woman. So you know, she she's not listened to. She's she's kind of mistreated in an emotional sense throughout the film. There's there's one scene that really hit me, as as an as an as both an ex husband and as a man, where um, you know her husband played by Xander Berkeley, who is a kind of a classic asshole. You know, in in film, <laughs> he he wasn't necessarily that here, but
0: well, hold on. He, there, there's a scene real quick with Xander Berkeley, and I'm so glad you brought this up because I was going to skip it, but I'll say this: there's a point where he's he once to Have sex with her, and one That's of the exactly.
1: first. Oh, okay. Then you, I'll let you tell it. Exactly what I was going to mention. Yeah, yeah. Go, go for it. So you know, she she tells him, "I have the, you know this headache thing," and and he throws a like it's it's all but a tantrum. You know, he gives her the silent treatment. He sits on the bed and like stares in the mirror. He's pouting, and and she even starts to go into the the details of what she's not you know of how she's feeling, and he says, "I don't want to hear it," and. It's just it's such a just a shitty thing to to see as a as a like I said, as a man and as a as a former husband, um, you know, who's been in situations like that, to see that from the outside is is really eye opening. And, you know, and it's just like how how crappy and insensitive is that, you know, that as you know, as a man. You know, you, you're going to treat your wife that way because, you know, well, you know, she doesn't feel well enough to, to screw you tonight. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> essentially, that's that's what he's mad about. And, uh, you know, and, and he's not necessarily portrayed as a terrible husband throughout the film. You know, he's he you know, he shows up at, at key points to, to kind of, you know, be her support system. He talks for her at times. So if anything, it's kind of a it's kind of a real relationship. Yeah. You know, it, it's not it's not manufactured as either a a perfect relationship or you know your stereotypical terrible movie relationship where yeah. you know he would be an, an irredeemable jackass the whole movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, so, I think I think that's that's a really funny thing to mention as well because <clears throat> like one thing I did like about it is her relationships with kind of everyone seems whether yes. they feel perfectly realistic, um what they're getting at is more yeah. realistic. So like. With her husband, you know, um, when she is uh, toward uh, on the last half of the movie, when she is at Rinwood, which yeah. is the uh, cult for hypochondriacs, as I call it. I don't know if I actually <laughs> stand by that. I just think it's funny. But uh, yeah. she's at Rinwood and her family comes to visit her. Her husband and her son Rory, and mm-hmm. uh, her husband Greg, played by again Xander Berkeley. Um, Greg, like whenever he wants to go say goodbye to her, he's like begrudgingly moving her shit to this like new place for her yeah. to stay and like he wants, like there's a point where he kind of gets close to her and she like gets away because she thinks he's wearing cologne and it's like too yeah. strong. And a whole big point of the movie is that any sense like um, uh, it could be exhaust from a car. It could mm-hmm. be any kind of smog. It could be any kind of strong uh, sense, like a cologne or a deodorant or anything make mm-hmm. her feel like she's getting sicker. Like that's kind of the mm-hmm. whole point. So she runs, she like kind of takes a few steps away from him. And he goes back to that kind of pouty guy. Yeah. And and he even, there's a point where he asks her, like, can I hug you? Like, t- when he's about to leave. Yeah. And it's like, that sounds sweet. But he kind of does it with this, like, come on, bitch. Like, hug me. <laughs> like, like what? it's this very yeah. kind of, like, rude kind of thing. And um, mm-hmm. so I, I agree 100% with you on the husband. And, again, I'm so glad you brought it up. Because he, it's not that he's necessarily, like, this stereotypical cliche bad husband it's more yeah. of like he really is just like a lot of people we would probably know this yeah. upper middle class guy who feels entitled to get banged by his wife who's like quote unquote stays at home and is a homemaker or whatever right like right. the least you can do is bang me you know like right. i mean he seems like that guy and um of course you know by my standards i would say what a bummer he kind of sucks you know um, yeah. but the, the movie doesn't necessarily like demonize him because there are moments where he is there for support, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he is kind of taking care of her. So, uh, I love that you brought that up. Yeah. But please, uh, yeah. please continue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That, and that's, you know, so there, there's that there's the way men treat her. Um, and, and then she has, I don't want to go into it too much. Maybe we touch on it more later, but there's almost this quasi romance with another, um, patient at the facility later on and it, it it was kind of interesting at least the way that they they kind of interjected that and the way they even didn't resolve it but um yeah you know it, there's nothing overt about it like that you know they they don't even you know like they don't even kiss there's not even a moment where they you know where they they think they might um at least kind of toward the towards the very end, but it's all body um, language. And yes. yeah, yeah. It's, it, very, it's subtle. very subtle. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're using the same words here now. Um, but, but even kind of within her circle of friends, you know, it, it's one of the, one of the hallmarks of a, a Todd Haynes film is a protagonist who's kind of a, an outsider socially. And, and uh, Carol is certainly that. You know, she there's, you know, there are scenes where, you know, there she's out with um, with Greg's like, I assume it's Greg's friends and, you know, and spouses. Yeah. And and someone tells a, an off color joke and she doesn't laugh. And someone at the, and a woman at the table points that out that, you know, someone didn't think your joke was very funny. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and it's this really awkward kind of scene where, you know, and, and from our perspective, we know she's not feeling well. And that's probably more, she probably would have given it a cursory laugh if, you know, if it had been, you know, if she'd been feeling 100%. But as it was, she was kind of more absorbed with, you know, her her illness at that moment and just kind of lets it pass. Uh, and then, you know, and that can kind of continues throughout. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, a lot, of, you know, there's a, kind of a variety of scenes throughout that, the first half of the movie where she's in these situations with, you know, in a social setting. And she has to, she has to force herself to stay there or to pretend there, there was one scene, uh, which is kind of, you know, it's, it's um, kind of toward the end, I think of, of act, I don't want to say act, maybe the beginning of act two, where she's sitting at a, it's a bridal shower and she's got, yes. yeah. And she's got, I'm. I'm going to tell you what, what I was thinking and, you know, as opposed to what really happened. So she's sitting there. This is one of my
0: notes, so I'm excited you're going here. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) I'm going to assume we kind of have the same thing in mind where, you know, she's, you know, she's had all of these different, you know, kind of coughing fits and, you know, she's gotten bloody noses and, you know, just different, you know, just different symptoms. And she's sitting there. She has a little, you know, a little girl on her lap. It's one of her friend's daughters. And the camera just kind of pans in on her, on, on Julianne Moore's, you know Carol kind of slowly and you can kind of see her grimacing a little bit and then the daughter jumps up and I thought oh my god she just pooped herself (laughs) and (laughs) that's not what happened but you know that that was what I you know I saw her she's struggling and she's grim, and I'm like oh boy like she's getting diarrhea or something from this (laughs) you know from from whatever it is but but what happened was worse right like she she has this complete like breathing fit and she, you know, she can't breathe and she's having this attack and, and she's just panicked. You can just see the panic in her, you know, in her face. But, you know, I, and I'm, I was sitting there thinking, which one of those would have been worse though? Um, (laughs) Well, it's, (laughs) yeah,
0: yeah. It's, it's interesting because this, this was in my notes, this is under the direction category that I had put it in because This is like the moment where it first really captured me, the movie, Um, where like prior to that, like I was into it, but this was the Mm -hmm. moment where like I just thought this was very, very well done. So just to kind of recap what you just said uh, with Uh a little bit more detail, we have a kind of um, a shot where Carol is sitting away from her friends, like on the other side of the room with her friend's daughter, her Mm -hmm. other friends, uh, you know, it's a baby shower, so the... The person uh, about to have the baby is opening all these gifts, and people are happily bringing them to her. Carol's on the other side of the room sitting in a chair. And so the camera starts way back by the friends. You don't see the friends, but you can hear them. Um, And it's back there. And I'm talking like this scene has to go on at least 30 to 45 seconds, which in movie time is a long time. Yeah. And it is a super, super slow push in. And the whole time both of their faces the little dot da- the friend's daughter and hers uh uh hers being carol's uh their faces slowly distort into these grimaces and, yeah. and 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 it's so masterfully done i think and and it's so subtle because the kid looks in pain like yeah. <laughs> like yeah. It, yeah. She, like she, the poor little kid she is so distraught because she's distraught before we are because she can feel it. She can sense it. So you're almost getting this perspective from like the other people, like the moms or whatever, right? Because Carol starts doing like this breathing where she can't get a breath and she's like, you know, and these like fast breaths. Uh, Sorry, I burped. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> you missed
0: that joe you missed it anyways um yeah uh anyways uh i meant you missed it because we haven't talked in so long but you also didn't hear it because i'm a master anyways so um but no carol starts like kind of hyperventilating and the kid looks so freaked and all yeah. it is is a simple like push in on this mm-hmm. camera dolly shot probably or something like that very slow very subtle but I mean, that scene knocked it out of the park for me. And 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 here here's the troubling thing that you kind of touched on. Um, all the men in her life, at first, they kind of take it seriously until the doctors and people are like, "There's nothing wrong with you." And then everyone's shoving it off, right? Um, yeah. And and uh, there's even a point where, like you said, he he uh, the doctor ends up suggesting a psychiatrist for her, yeah. and. Um, then at the, the baby shower, all of her friends are kind of like talking like very light, but still shit nonetheless about how weird Carol's been lately. And, you know, she hasn't been hanging around. There's like this pressure from all sides. And the psychiatrist even brings up at one point, maybe the doctor does that Mm -hmm. Carol might just be suffering from some kind of stress or anxiety. And so when I playfully call Renwood, a cult for hypochondriacs, Uh, It's because in my, and this ends in a question for you. I I see Carol as someone probably just suffering, likely, from extreme anxiety because of the pressures that she is getting from not only her, uh, from physicians, from her family, from her closest friends. There's never a place she turns, even advertisements, everything. I mean, there's a point where when she's in a room somewhere, I forget where she was exactly, but there's like an infomercial on how to get healthier or more fit, you know, like there's always, she's bombarded with how she should look, how she should behave, you know, how she should be X, Y, Z. So, you know, I'm no physician, but my interpretation of that was, you know, I think she really, it, it really is anxiety, but the only people that actually embrace her like non-judgmentally, are these yeah. people at Renwood. Ooh. And so yeah. like, I, I want to go in that direction real quick. Like how, how sure. what do you think, do you think that she, is sincerely having some sort of uh, like fit that whether it be directly involved with the environment or not, she's actually having like a real sickness, like an illness. Or do you, do you kind of agree more with, with where I'm going with it?
1: Yeah. Well, and, and the thing of it is, is it's really complicated um, because correct. she, yeah. you know, it, to, to me, number one, it was, it was shocking how quickly the doctor went to, Go see a psychologist or psychiatrist. <laughs> Dude,
0: the you know, second like, time.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like the second visit, you know, and and you know, and maybe it had been more, you know, but but it was so quick. Like it was a it, it went super fast. And and then there was even a point later on where, you know, after the you know, in the aftermath of the the bridal shower incident where she's in the hospital, and he yells at her, the doctor yells at her that the tests don't support that. You know, he's like yeah. the medicine doesn't support that you're having these allergies. But then she sees, you know, then she sees an allergist and has another one of those fits, right? Like when immediately after she's injected with a certain, you know, with a certain set of of molds and stuff. But but then the, you know, and, and yeah, you talked about, you know, all of these different things she tried. And you know, looking at looking at this from kind of a real world perspective, this was certainly in the 90s and, and even as i'm sure is today to an extent it was kind of a thing for people to be allergic to stuff yeah and this you took know, place like, in the like late totally 80s everyone is allergic to all of these different things right and now maybe it wasn't a sudden thing maybe it was you know we're just learning about it but you know i certain and i certainly have people in you know in my life who have you know who you know every time we go to a restaurant it's you know it's a conversation with with the waiter about well it doesn't have xyz and you know this isn't in it and you're not going to yeah. cook it next to this and I can't eat that and you know there's a lot of frustration involved sometimes but and who knows whether you know how you know how legitimate all of that is but you know as you said whether there's maybe you know maybe there's a combination of things and it's the anxiety is is becomes the primary issue you know the yeah. maybe there's an you know an allergy to to dairy you know she she talks about you know of course the beginning of the film she drinks a lot of milk and she mentions that to the doctor and you know and that's something that people are commonly aller- allergic to right well there's
0: on that note there's a point where the the uh, injection that actually gives her a reaction he goes looks like you drink too much milk and she had just oh. called herself a milkaholic yes. so that allergy if she drinks a lot of milk and she's making herself sick that yeah. kind of covers a lot of like physical aspects and then the other aspects very much like uh sickness like feeling nauseous and things like that which could also yeah. be attributed to the lactose could also uh-huh. be like this anxiety you know what yeah, i mean yeah. like yeah I, I, find, I find that really interesting
1: yeah and and then and but then to me the the most maybe the most interesting part of that later on as you know as the the film is is closing is that when she's at the facility she doesn't really get better she she talks about it she says she feels better but physically you know she has this this weird like bruise or something on her forehead and and that's kind of like and it's never discussed right but it's there the you know through the whole you know last yeah. third of the movie and and this
0: is clearly emphasized by uh Hayne's direction too because uh mm-hmm. la- the reason i call this place a cult real quick is rinwood yeah. is this place f- that carol goes uh because mm-hmm. it's like kind of off off the environmental grid so to speak they kind of cover yeah. their own stuff and mm-hmm. um they have to wear like kind of like these mundane plain clothes so just like sweatpants and a sweater um one color like they don't have like any kind of markings or anything on them i think she's wearing like like white and like a very pale pink or something, or maybe all yeah. white and gray, or it's just like very bland clothes. Um, mm-hmm. you know, she's not wearing any kind of makeup, of course, because that would be a toxin. They're not allowed yeah. to have sex, they're encouraged to refrain and be abstinent while they're there. I mean, this sounds like fucking Jonestown, dude. Like, this, <laughs> right. like, That's this so is cool. you're just waiting for the Kool Aid, right? But at the same time, yeah. like, no one ever hurts her. There, Like no one, no one tries. I I keep joking about the cult thing because the guy who kind of runs it really does seem like someone who in one slight change, it could easily be a cult. Um, and I jokingly call it that. I don't know if it really is. Maybe these people truly believe this. I mean, but that guy really does feel like a cult leader to me. And, um, And cause he, he is that kind of like televangelist kind of guy. He makes everyone feel really good. And, yes. um, uh, but every uh, time
1: he talks to you, you sense that it's a performance, right?
0: Yeah. Very but, performative. Yes. yeah, Dude, that is a great way to put it. Yeah. He yeah. is definitely that. And so there, there are like so many callings to this being a cult. And I love that the fact that she doesn't get better, which again, ties into my, my theory of, um, like the, she's not throwing up and stuff there. So maybe she's not drinking milk. Okay. And then on top of that, the anxiety's still there because her anxiety seems to be uh in order to like please others, to fit in, to do this thing. And she never really does, even at Rinwood, right? Like she's still seeking that approval. And the time that she looks the best at Rinwood, not counting like the weird lesion or whatever that's on her head, um, uh-huh. is when she has that weird faux romance with the guy. And again, it's yeah. not a romance, but it's like they, they do definitely tease at he definitely Ooh. likes her now. What she's feeling, yeah. I don't know, but that's clearly yeah. she's getting some sort of like attention from him. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, man, it, it's really weird. I, I want to, unless you have something to add, I want to move on to one more thing uh, uh, to make sure so, we get you know, it in. Go ahead.
1: Uh, you know, I do want to say one more thing about about the the leader at at Renward. There, you know, and and you know, kind of his the the like you said, the performative nature of of just his speech. Yeah. And and that's toward the end of the film, they're you know they're in a session and it it all runs very much like you know an Alcoholics Anonymous kind of thing you know and a lot of those rules kind of harken back to that, and and there are people there who were there because they had been on drugs and things, um, but it almost feels like they just kind of throw them all into the same pot right like it's you know some people are you know have allergy issues and are sick and some people are sick because of drugs, and you know and and they're just kind of dropping them in there. And and so that was kind of interesting to me at, again in a subtle way where I'm like, is this, you know, is this really just like some kind of facility of just for people to get away, you know, what kind of treatment are they really giving them? Yeah. But but at the end, the this leader had you know they they're doing one of these circle discussions, and he said something that was really interesting to me. Um, when, you know, uh, when the the woman, I can't remember her name now, the, there's a, a woman who's, who lived at the facility with her husband. Nell. And her husband died, dies during the, you know, the film. Yeah, they couldn't, her, so her name's Nell. Nell, yes, yes. And so, so she's in this circle and is not in, an, you know, she's not real eager to participate, but he pushes her to participate. And she says something about how, she just wants to get a gun and shoot all these people who were, you know, making her sick or something. And he turns it back and says, "Everyone who is sick is sick because of themselves. You're not sick because of these. Uh, these other people aren't making you sick. You're making yourself sick." Yeah, and, and more importantly, about- the
0: anger that she holds is the sickness. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes, and and that kind of uh, you know is another nudge in that direction of, of stress, you know, this this stress and the, um, the anxiety of everything. But it was interesting to me because it's, you know, now it's another man, you know, blaming, you know, Carol for her own, for her predicament. Yeah. And, and I just, I just thought it was a really interesting thing toward the end that even he was now saying that. So it's it's virtually every man, except for this one um, with whom she has this, Romance thing that didn't really get off the ground <laughs> She You know they're, they're all basically Telling her that so It, it was it's just Kind of this full on Societal thing this is all in your head Or this is all this is your fault in Some way and you know Or not not maybe you deserve it But it definitely It's because of what you're doing to yourself Yeah
0: oh yeah And the blame is yeah like you said uh, Automatically put back on uh on the not victims that's not what i'm trying to think of but the the quote unquote kind of patience that they have basically yeah. these these uh people that are that are there and i i think you know man that's such a good point actually <laughs> um he he's great i i i, I Honestly, I don't even know that guy's name. I don't remember the guy's yeah. um, name in the movie either. Because I'm terrible with names, and even on IMDb, I don't even remember which guy this is. But whoever, yeah. <laughs> whoever the oh, leader, whoever the leader is, is I love his performance. I've seen him in other stuff before, but man, like his performance is so good um, because he is so believably that cult leader type character, and uh, yeah, it really, really does feel like a cult to me. Uh, and I, I, couldn't get past that, but I, I think, I think kind of the, the backbone of this entire movie, and I want to know what you think first. Uh, I think the backbone of this movie is Julianne Moore. And, um, I, I, I will say a couple of things and then I'll, I'll pass it over to you. Uh, in terms of the performances, you know, whenever the movie started, this is prior to the scene where you thought she pooped her pants. <laughs> um, Carol acts very strangely. Like it was, it was like very, I don't want to say unrealistic, but it's like, man, that's cringy. Like how she she would, she was just so rigid and so stiff. And I kind of like blamed like Julianne Moore for that. Cause I knew this was like her first lead role. And I knew that she was relatively, uh, not new. I mean, she did stuff before this, but I mean, like she just wasn't, uh, as seasoned as maybe some others. And, uh, you know, the first half of the film, she's very rigid. She's very reserved. Uh, but man by the end I found a lot of nuance in her performance um mm-hmm. and 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 man I just I thought she was really great and and to add to that to pass on to you here um it's kind of my feelings of the overall film I felt like the first act and the first half of the second act so this is like the first half where she's still in in Southern California and uh I think she's from the San Fernando Fernando Valley right Yes. Yes. So, so, uh, you know, she's in this like upper middle class house. She's hanging out with a bunch of wealthy people basically. And she, I don't know. She's so stiff. She's so weird. It's like hard for me to even believe she has these friends she has because she just like doesn't talk, you know, (laughs) like, and she's just like the, the odd (laughs) one out. Like one of these is not like the others, right? Like I always saw her as that. But much like a movie like The Deer Hunter, uh, I could name several movies, but I'll I'll just talk about Michael Cimino's uh, The Deer Hunter. That movie is like, I remember watching that for the first time, three hours long. The first hour happens, and I'm like, that first hour feels long. Like, that is slow, and nothing happens. And then the second scene in Vietnam happens, that second hour, basically. I'm like, oh, crap. But when they book in the movie with the last hour being them coming home afterwards, and it gives... A meaning to the entire first hour of the movie because they're juxtaposing everything yeah. they did in the first hour and now giving that meaning. Um, I feel like this film does the same thing. I love that I just drew a comparison between this and the Deer Hunter because that's not <laughs> accurate. But my point is, like this movie was like, man, there's like uh, very little. I, I love how I was gonna pass it on to you and hear I'm talking, so I'm just gonna keep going, I guess. But the music is largely, or yeah, is largely the movie's largely filled with quietness and diegetic music. So like all the music is in the movie, like what Mm -hmm. the characters are experiencing, where they are. It's very quiet. Um, There are a few moments with really awesome '80s sounding score that kicks in like the opening credit sequence. Um, But uh, yeah, it's a very quiet movie and uh, like, it just seems like things that are happening are very mundane Mm -hmm. and you just keep learning like just little things. Right, But by the end of the movie, I found that looking back on all the things that she did, I'm talking about her performance, this also ties into the movie as a whole, but everything Carol did at the beginning and how rigid she seemed, how reserved she seemed, has so much more meaning by the end of the movie rather than in the moment as you're watching that first half. And and I have to attribute not only uh, partially to Todd Haynes, but uh, also to Julianne Moore for bringing that alive. Um, yeah, this is kind of the last thing I want to talk about, if that's all right with you, but give me your feelings about the performances and maybe how direction and performances maybe were married there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, to, to talk first about Julianne Moore, you know, she has that, that's kind of one of her things. One of the things she's good at is, is playing these kind of awkward silences and, 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 you know, characters who are who are sort of physically and emotionally awkward, um, both to be around and, you know, just, and to watch and, you know, and that that's carried through, geez, so many of the, you know, so many films she's been in and now I'm trying to even think about which ones those were.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm interested to hear you. Cause this seemed different to me while you're looking it up. I'll, yeah. I'll just say this because like in her Paul Thomas Anderson stuff, I didn't feel, mm-hmm. I don't feel like she's that way. And um, Big Lebowski, although oh. she is very awkward, like it's in a yeah. very intentional way. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear cuz I haven't seen Far from Heaven which is another Todd Haynes movie with Julianne Moore as the lead. I've never seen yep. that. So that's one that if not before, I guess we'll tackle um, next year around this time.
1: <laughs> yep. So um, I just saw her last year or 2018 she did one called Gloria Bell and mm. it's it's about a woman who's who is divorced and and she you know the a lot of the movie is her like going to clubs and dancing And it's, but it's, but she's, she doesn't talk a whole lot. And she has kind of that same, that kind of same thing. And if you go back to Boogie Nights and Magnolia, maybe, maybe um, Magnolia more so. She's, there are those kind of, she has those traits. You know, there's that bit of uh, kind of, kind of quietness and, you know, she's, she's a pain, the character there. So she's, she's more silent. You know, think about like the scene in the pharmacy where, Um, you know, she's trying not to explode on the, the pharmacist who very clearly thinks that she's, you know, that she's, you know, getting these, gathering these drugs for herself and, um, you know, the, kind of that whole time she's holding back and that's kind of what her care, a lot of her characters do. They, they kind of, they bury things or hold things back. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just like skimming through her filmography, trying to, trying to find movies where she's doing that. Um. And, and I have not seen everything she's done, obviously, but, um, but, you know, that's, that's something I I've seen. Um, Chloe is another one, I think, where she's, uh, she's a bit of a, a, bit of a reserved character for a while too. And, and she's, she's certainly stretching outside of her comfort zone, you know, as the, the movie progresses. But, um, but I don't know, she, she just is, is really skilled at that um, and, and kind of using her face to, to act, you yeah. know, instead of, instead of having to engage people verbally and um, and her character is certainly just, man, she's, yeah, you're, you know, the way you, you portrayed it is, is spot on. She's just so awkward. And it, it is, it's hard. She's that person. She's that person in, in a circle of friends where any single individual probably doesn't want to be stuck alone with her. You know, if, if you you know if, if you have that kind of circle of friends and spouses as you grow up and you're like man what happens when everybody leaves and it just is the two of us here for a few minutes we gotta find something to talk about yeah and and there's even a sequence or two where that kind of stuff happens you know and, and it's like oh so um, what do we talk about now but, <laughs> yeah. but yeah she it certainly grows you know through the film and I don't know that I'd say she goes undergoes a massive change you know in in that area but I, I think as it goes along, you kind of see the genesis of it. You know, she's, this is her environment. Um, you know, this is, this is, you know, as much as, as it's just her inherent personality, this is from years of being beaten down by men, you know, in, in different ways. So uh, that's, that's what I see from, from her, per, her, uh, her performance, largely. So.
0: Yeah. I, I just, I love his direction. I think he has such a, a unique, uh, way of telling stories and and maybe not all of his movies are like bangers but I mean Carol's probably my favorite that I've seen I like it a bit more than this one but I really overall I really loved this movie I'm glad that I yeah. saw it and I didn't know if I'd feel that way by the end whenever I first started it but then by the time you get there uh, I mean dude I, I was a huge fan once she got to Renwood I mean that was really the turning point for me to be like I really like this movie I'm buying mm-hmm. the Criterion version of this, yeah. which is available it, by the way, but um, uh, it was almost
1: a nightmarish Pleasantville kind of quasi Pleasantville in the first half, it, you know, and, and yeah. And then it turn, takes that, that second turn. Yeah. But um, I mean, obviously she's a fan of Todd Haynes. She's done several movies with him. She did, um, you know, you mentioned far from heaven. She did. Um, I'm not there also the, the um, Bob Dylan film. Yep. Um, so yeah. So she's done, I mean, he doesn't have a, a huge filmography, but um, a lot of it she's in. <laughs> yeah, so. no,
0: you're spot on. And, and I, I want to touch on two things. Cause you just mentioned, it's like a nightmarish Pleasantville. I, I'll, I'll get yep. to that in a second. I just want to say oh. one thing as someone who was raised in a church and as someone who was a musician in the church. So I traveled to a lot of other churches. It mm-hmm. was very funny side note that there's just a random drum set in the auditorium at Renwood. That's never <laughs> used. But Uh as someone who grew up in churches and was around and was a musician and I traveled, that is a key element in any auditorium, (laughs) is a random (laughs) drum set. Whether anyone's playing it or not, there's a drum set there. I thought that was a wonderful touch. I don't know if it was really all that intentional. I don't know Uh what was going on with it. But uh, the last thing I want to say, tying into your nightmares thing, and then we'll move on to Miyazaki. Is sure. uh, you know, I think the film works as a psychological horror film in many ways. I wouldn't classify it as that. Like if I worked at, you know, family video or like some video rental place, I wouldn't categorize it in the horror section. But mm-hmm. I in many ways it it it's kind of like it made me feel like I feel when I watch horror movies at points. Mm-hmm. You know, um mm-hmm. and, and uh it was very strange, especially when she was at Rinwood, because you can tell she's starting to kind of whereas before she was fighting it, now she's kind of adopt like fully adopting and just falling Mm -hmm. into, I don't want to say madness, but like her insecurities and those, those issues that she had, she's being reinforced now. And it just, man, it felt almost like a horror movie. Did you get that vibe?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I'm not the first person to mention this, but yeah. 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 And, and obviously it's not, yeah, this, this is a drama, um, you know, first and foremost, but, it's it's kind of that just that sick feeling in your stomach, right? Where it, it doesn't have obviously. There's not you know this isn't jump scare. This isn't a slasher movie, but but there is that kind of that just sense of dread, and because you know what's happening and you know what's coming, and and it's kind of that level of discomfort that you're you're feeling her pain in a sense. So yeah, um, that that's one thing he does. You know he does really well is is he's pulling you into into her character a bit. So and, the- um, and yeah.
0: Yeah, tying into that and the cult thing, like she never leaves, by the way. I mean, that's not a spoiler. You can just, I mean, it doesn't spoil anything, but I'm just saying, like, her stay continues to be prolonged. She keeps staying longer. And, uh, I'm, it's like, I'm ready to see safe part two, you know, <laughs> Like let's see,
1: yeah, let's yeah. see, you and know, Julian, this weird igloo yeah. that the guy died in, right. The, the, um, the other, the husband died in. Yeah. You know, when Mel's husband t- dies. Yeah, yeah. She's
0: in this like super secure porcelain lined, like a uh, little yeah. igloo of sorts. Yeah. It's very, very bizarre. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would love to talk about the end, but we'll let, we'll give people a chance to see it. Uh, maybe you and I can talk about it another time. Um, but uh, yeah, so that is our our uh, little discussion about Todd Haynes' uh, film Safe from 1995, starring Julianne Moore. If you agree or disagree, please hit us up uh, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at MediumCoolPod. And I, sincerely, we would love to get your feedback. You can also email us at MediumCoolPod at gmail.com. And of course, yes. you can hit me up at Austin Glidden on Twitter and uh i mean we'll definitely hear it and i'll make sure that joe sees whatever we get so please definitely (laughs) give us some feedback and i'll say this we're about to get into Hayao miyazaki and i am a huge fan of miyazaki i can't wait to tell you about how i feel about any of the three movies my neighbor totoro princess mononoke or spirited away we'll find out what joe picked in just a moment we'll be right back Alright, so we are back to talk about Hayao Miyazaki. His birthday is today, January 5th, so we wanted to celebrate by talking about one of three films. His movie, My Neighbor Totoro, Princess Mononoke, or Spirited Away. Joe, which of these three did you pick and did you have a reason why?
1: You know, it was a tough choice. Yeah, and he, you know, Miyazaki is kind of the king of, of, uh, I don't know if you call him the king of anime, the king of of this kind of this particular brand of anime. Um, but I I chose this one just because it was, I, I look at it as maybe his kind of signature piece. Um, so I chose from 2001, Spirited Away. Very, very exciting.
0: Okay, yeah, this is uh, uh, the film from 2001, like you said, uh, Hayao Miyazaki uh, and Studio Ghibli. Some people call it Ghibli, I call it Ghibli. Who knows? Uh, hey, you know what? Hit us up. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Medium Cool Pod, and tell me uh, how you pronounce it. But I'm yeah, pretty I'm sure it's Studio like Ghibli. It. And uh yeah, it's it's uh it's it's a masterpiece. Um, you know, it stars uh uh I I'm gonna get some of these names wrong. I just know it already. Yeah. I tried to look up how you pronounce this, but uh Dave Chase plays uh-huh. Shahiro. Uh, the voice, the the English version of the voice, of yeah. course. This was in yeah. uh Japanese. Um, I'll I'll say this real quick before I keep going. Any anime, I grew up with watching English dubs. Mm -hmm. I find there is an art to how people dub over Japanese anime in English, Mm -hmm. and I actually prefer the English dubs. You will never hear me say I prefer dubs of any kind for any movie, but there's Uh. some charm, and it's part of the thing I love About anime is listening to the English. Now, I understand I'm fully aware that in English dubs or dubs of any kind, you often do lose um, some level of uh, maybe complexity in the story or cultural things that uh, may have been localized in some way uh, to help us better understand um, and for those things, I do the research or just watch the film at least once in its original language with subtitles. Something I've never done with *Spirited Away*, but I'd be really yep. interested in doing. Um, but so uh, the version I watched is the U.S. Uh, English, like Disney Same version, here. basically. I'm sure it was you too. Uh, yeah. And uh, so yeah, um, DeVay Chase. Uh,
1: did- can, can I give you? A, we, you mentioned DeVay Chase's name. Can I? I can give you the um, my bit of trivia about her. Oh, she, please. She she played Samara in the, the ring, the original film, the ring, uh, well, not the original, the, the remake with Naomi Watts, um, which came out, I believe the same year, 2001.
0: Uh, yeah. 2002, um, I think. Yeah.
1: 2002. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah. So that, that's kind of an interesting, you know, being the, you know, the, the ring was a remake of, of a, a, a Japanese original horror film. And, and here she is now doing the, the English version of, of a Japanese uh,
0: animated film, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So and she's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love Chihiro and uh you know, Suzanne uh, uh Plush- that's it. <laughs> Suzanne Plashette plays uh Yubaba and Zaniba. Uh Jason Marsden plays Haku. Um wait, did I get that name right?
1: Yeah, Haku. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, For no, some reason I
0: felt like that was wrong. Um maybe then, the idea.
1: Uh, not, not, not Ming.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh Su- Suzanne uh, Egan plays Lynn, and as well as Michael Chiklis, which I actually didn't know this until I looked into this. Michael yeah. Chiklis plays Chihiro's father. There's a ton of other people, of course, but these are kind of the uh-huh. names that stood out to me. And uh, the story basically follows a young girl, Chihiro Chihiro. Who becomes trapped in a strange new world of spirits when her parents undergo a mysterious transformation? She must call upon the courage she never knew she had to free her family. Uh, and uh, basically, her family are traveling to their new home. Chihiro is really upset about it, um, and uh, they stop at this this kind of uh, what what would you call it? Like uh, I don't know why I can't think of it right now. Um, it, it, it's like a, a shrine or something that when you go yeah. through this like area, there's like I think what used to be maybe like an amusement park or something. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He
1: called it a, an abandoned theme park or something. Yes, yeah. yes,
0: correct. So you go, they go through what looks kind of like sh- a little shrine or something, uh, but they get to this abandoned uh, amusement park, and whenever they get there, the parents smell food, and so uh, they start eating. They be, they turn into pigs. Uh, yes. Night is falling upon them, and when Shahira tries to run back to her car, thinking she's dreaming, she finds a just a huge Uh, mass of water blocking her from getting back to where she came and she has to figure out how she can get her parents transformed back to normal and how she can get back home and so uh, it's it's a really imaginative I mean that is an understatement I think with Miyazaki I mean what an incredibly creative individual Uh, and and uh, I only add all that because I think the synopsis uh, I mean I could talk on and on about a synopsis of this movie because there's just so yeah. much, but the budget was about 15 to 19 million. I thought, so I forgot that they were uh, in yin and it said something about like 9 billion yin. <laughs> so then I'm like, what? Um, but then I realized translated it's 15 to 19 million. Uh, the box office, it made a whopping $355 million worldwide. Huge success. Um, It's the second highest grossing anime film worldwide prior to 2016. It was number one. Uh, So it had a 15 year reign as the number one anime in the world. in in terms of box office, it was only beaten by your name, um, which came out in 2016. Uh, But it only beat it by 3 million, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, it won fifty-seven. I'm saying one, not nominated. It won fifty-seven awards, including the Oscar for Best Animated Feature that year, and was nominated for twenty-six other awards that it didn't win, but it was nominated for. Him. That's a huge, staggering amount of awards, yes. um, and that's worldwide. Um, I'll just, I'll just out it now. This is my favorite Miyazaki film, and I've seen almost all of them. Not all. Uh, Porco Rosso. Uh, there are like a handful, the Lupin three, it's like one of his first ones that he did in the seventies. There are are a handful that I haven't seen, but I used to show these to my daughter and, uh, her favorite was my neighbor Totoro, which is a masterpiece in and of itself. But, uh, yeah, this one is absolutely outstanding. So, I mean, you know, jig is up, you know, how I feel about this. Um, I, I want to say a few things about the film before we get into it, Joe, just some kind of general, stuff about the movie that might give you some uh, fuel for your mm-hmm. feelings. Cause I'm going to end up asking you eventually uh, how you <laughs> felt about the movie because you had never seen this before. Correct.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I don't believe I had seen this. I had seen, I think I saw Ponyo and Howl's moving castle. I haven't seen a lot of Miyazaki's films and yeah, I think I didn't, I think maybe I was going to watch this one day and I didn't. Um, but yeah, I, if I did, I saw it right when it came out and I must've been, half paying attention to it um, because yeah th- this was this was virtually a new experience for me
0: Well what's interesting to me before I get into these general thoughts is like and I'm not saying you felt this way but a lot of people do see them as just kids movies but what's interesting is like my neighbor Totoro is about two sisters their child, their children child uh, they're these young children who are basically coping with the fact that their mom is in a hospital sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's like really dark, like, I mean, there's really dark elements, but it's also super kid friendly. I mean, these movies are yeah. like G and PG, uh, princess Mononoke is PG 13. I think probably just cause somebody gets decapitated. Um, but aside from that, uh, it's a pretty relatively tame movie. And, um, but I think it's, I think Miyazaki's movies, which you had mentioned, like, I don't know what I'd call them kind of the king of maybe this style of anime. Like, he is this style. He created, essentially, this... I mean, Studio Ghibli is almost like a genre in anime. Like, it's it's a Ghibli movie, you know? Um, and other people have kind of taken that on, but Miyazaki is sincerely, uh, as far as I'm concerned, a genius. And, of course, I'm not alone. Lots and lots of people like him. But in terms of this movie, uh, just to give some kind of context, uh, Miyazaki used to vacation in uh, a mountain cabin with his family... Uh, and five young girls uh, who were friends of the family they'd go with them and uh, the idea for spirited away came about when you know he wanted to make a film basically for these friends these these kids and so Miyazaki had previously directed films for small children and teenagers such as you know my neighbor totoro and kiki's delivery service both of which are great my daughter loves kiki's um, but, you know, he had not created a film basically for 10-year-old girls, you know. Uh, so for inspiration, uh, he read manga magazines that the girls had left at the cabin. Uh, but he felt that they all they offered pretty much was, you know, s- stuff about, like, crushes and romance. And when he was, you know, looking at his young friends, Miyazaki felt like, you know, uh, this isn't the type of things that they hold dear to their hearts, as he would say, you know. And he decided to produce a film that, uh, had a young heroine, uh, whom possibly would speak to these young people that he cared about so much. So Miyazaki uh, created this this awesome world, and it's all centered uh, in this like special kind of spirit world. Uh, it's all centered around this bathhouse, and um, bathhouses are uh, are and were especially a big deal in Japan, uh, where you go there, and it's basically kind of like a spa, essentially, um, but they call them bathhouses. And, uh, you know, it's this weird, Miyazaki always saw bathhouses, even in the real world, it's like these weird, mysterious places. And he talks about how there were like these small doors next to like the bathtubs in the bathhouse. And Miyazaki would always, he was always so curious about what was behind them. And he would make, uh, make up stories about what they could be. Right. Uh, and one of which inspired the bathhouse setting and spirited away, uh, Disney funded 10% of the picture and uh, earned first distribution rights because of it. So Disney still carries the distribution rights in the U S there used to be a Miyazaki box set that had something like 14 or 15 of his movies or maybe all of them. I don't remember. Um, And uh, I think it went out of print. Now it's like super expensive for a while. It was like 150 bucks and I was happy to buy it. Uh, But now it's like $400 or something. It's like so expensive. I still want it, but it's, I can't do it. Um, They realized they could sell them individually and get more money. I'm sure. But, Uh, The film is heavily influenced by Japanese Shinto Buddhist folklore. So uh, they talk about kami in the the movies, K-A-M-I. And basically what these are, are, um, you know, spirits in the world. And Miyazaki said, uh, in my grandparents' time, this is Miyazaki talking, in my grandparents' time, it was believed that kami, these spirits, existed everywhere, in trees, rivers, insects, wells, anything. My generation does not believe this. But I like the idea that we should all treasure everything because spirits might exist there. And we should treasure everything because there is kind, uh, there is a kind of life to everything. Um, you know, if you are a fan of Japanese culture um, or history or anything like I am, uh, you know that there are forest spirits and, uh, you know, there are river spirits and everything has a spirit. And so the film really tackles into this idea of kami, and and the bathhouse is kind of this uh, this place in the movie where they welcome all of these spirits to come cleanse themselves. So they're pure spirits, and there are kind of evil oozing spirits that come in uh, to try to find um, like relief as well. It's it's very very interesting. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, many people call it uh, spirited away, kind of akin to Alice in Wonderland or Through a Looking Glass. Um, I consider it kind of the Japanese Wizard of Oz. Uh, (laughs) That's kind of my comparison. Um, The film also seems to be uh, one of the things I find more interesting. The film also seems to be a criticism of Western consumerism and how Mm -hmm. our consumer culture has affected and ultimately changed the Japanese culture. This can be seen in how some of the uh, spirit world characters are dressed. They dress very Western in comparison to others. And uh, Mm -hmm. there's a whole analysis we could go through. But the point is, my whole point bringing all of this up is it's not just some kids movie. There's a lot of thought into this. There's a lot of things tying into their culture. These are the things that can really tie both into... Uh, like adult and children enjoying this and much like our uh, the US uh, animated films for kids a lot of times like Shrek or anything like that you'll have uh, a lot of like jokes for the adults watching but then like all of the other fun stuff will be for the kids well Miyazaki Mm -hmm. I think does a vastly better uh, job at this where he really just ties in like Japanese values and cultural like history and And things that everyone can kind of relate to, but he puts it in this kind of friendly, extremely imaginative and creative and innovative package uh, that kids can be interested in as well. So um, that's just kind of some back history and some context now that I've talked forever. And Joe, I want, for your first time viewing this, I'm curious, you know, what did you think? And uh, yeah, just give it to us, man.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny. I'm going to start again off of something that you said. Um, calling it kind of the Japanese Wizard of Oz, I, was, I would just had it queued up in my head. The first thing I was going to say is, you compare this film to the Wizard of Oz, and it is it is in many ways kind of a version of that, and Alice in Wonderland is, is, is another apt comparison as well. But, I mean, you watch those two movies, just watch them side by side, right? And Spirited Away has so much more going on It feels like such a world as opposed to Oz feels like a village or a town. Yeah. Sorry.
0: Sorry. Start, start over at, uh, at, uh, it feels like,
1: uh, it feels like the land of Oz is maybe a village or a town, but you know, the, the world of spirited away could be a world. It's, you know, it, it takes place inside this, this park, but, there are so many things going on. There are so many different kinds of creatures and different, you know, different things that just, they feel like they're a legitimate part of this, of a world of a larger world. And it feels so much richer in that way than, you know, even than the wizard of Oz, you know, which is obviously this, you know, one of the most beloved classics of all time. So yeah, start there. Um, (laughs) that's where you got to start. and, You know, going on the you know the the kids film versus you know or calling an animated film a kids film, it's not that's very much a, a Western conceit um, as well. Although you know, as as you mentioned, a lot of these um, you know a lot of most of Miyazaki's films, I think, um, are appropriate for children if not targeted to them. And and this one is is like that as well. Very very appropriate. It's very brightly colored but it's nightmarish in so many different ways, you know, oh, yeah. you know, there, you know, you mentioned, um, one of the other films, someone being decapitated. I mean, people are eaten here. Um, the, you know, the, just the scene of the, the mom and dad turning and literally turn transformed into pigs is, is pretty kind of, is, is pretty unsettling. Um, people, you know, are, are chasing, you know, Chihiro trying to kill her, and or you know in some other way enslave her, there are just these you know large grotesque creatures chasing and and you know pursuing her in diff- at different times, dragons with blood you know ha- you know the ha- haku turns into a dragon you know for much of the film and he's got blood literally blood dripping from his fangs and you know he's dying and it it's very you know it's it's things that here would draw a a. A uh, more mature rating, from you know from the the MPAA, but um, it, it's just it, it all kind of just makes this just wonderful film. Really, it, it's it all it all kind of comes together into this this thing of of making a film that can be. I don't I don't know how frightening kids would necessarily see it, but this is this is one of those one of those things to me where you know I had this realization as an adult that. Most of the fairy tales that that I grew up on, that have been passed down, you know, for generations, that you know, that you know, are just ingrained in in society, are brutal and you know, violent and you know, hor- you know, horribly so. And and this kind of this film kind of backs that up. Um. So that you know, that's that's really an interesting thing to watch. If you watch it in that in this context, you know, you'll see. Although there's all these bright colors. And all of you know just these this wonderful quirky artwork. It's still at its core is, is very dark and violent in a lot of ways. So, um, and and this all you know gets back to me. You know it, what it touches in me is is a, a peeve I've had for many years. Uh, you know when I was writing uh, reviews for uh, for the the magazine I wrote for, I often had to um, talk to people who uh, attended the screenings with me that you know that were just you know, people who I didn't know, you know, do man on the street kind of reviews. And anytime I did an animated film and I did, let's see, during that era, I know I did Wally. e um, There was at least, uh, I think two of the, uh, the Shrek movies um, that, you know, and, and lots of the, you know, the Sony and, you know, just kind of the one-offs and, and things like that. And I always knew coming out of a, of an animated film when I was going to talk to someone, they, I, I always asked them to sum up the movie in one word And I always knew cute would come in there and every single time Wally was cute, you know? And I was like, you know, I'm like, Wally, it's, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, he's a cute character. They're all cute. You know, there's all characters who are endearing and cute, but it's selling them so short. That's, that's your first impression. Uh, You know, you watch a film as, as, as large and with as many ideas as Wally, um, or, you know, or Ratatouille or, you know, any of the, especially the earlier Pixar films. Um, and, you know, and that's what comes to mind. Cute. Almost invariably. Dude,
0: absolutely. There, there's something that really annoys me tying onto that is if you look uh, back in like, you know, uh, prior to the Vietnam war, basically, especially prior to the seventies, you know, any animated film that came out, or anything directed toward kids, or that was family friendly, had to ver- had very strategic, sorry, very strict guidelines on what was uh, acceptable for that, because kids yes. were very sheltered, because people were afraid that they'd be, you know, taken by the devil or be a big sinner or something.
1: Right. And then
0: Vietnam happens, and then you get these really bad ass movies in like the '80s. OK, uh-huh. even something like Neverending Story or you yes. know, that's late 80s. But I mean, you get these really dark movies, even stuff, dude, even stuff like I brought up Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and stuff. There's creepy yeah. shit in those movies. And, yeah. and that was like my generation. You grew up a few years earlier than me, but still you grew mm-hmm. up with those movies as well. And so like we were kind of given this understanding that, you know, the world mm-hmm. can be a dark place, but we were given the the trust to kind of just be OK with it. You know, like these movies are dark and we're allowed to feel feelings. And then what sucks is you get the blockbuster coming in and and this kind of capitalist, like overtaking of these studios. Not that it wasn't already then, but um, and it turns into this thing where it's like, how can we make the most money? Well, we need to appeal to the adults. We need to appeal Mm -hmm. to kids and we need to appeal to the widest audience. And how do you do that? You make sure that there's nothing offensive or too scary or too fill in the blank here, right? And what right. really bums me out, man, is like the Miyazaki's movies are fucking dark, dude. Yeah. And and uh like even even in their like quote unquote cute package, like you've right. named a lot of stuff in this movie. Like I said, you know, my neighbor Totoro is basically about these two little children. I mean little children dealing with their mom dying. Like that's yeah. heavy and you have to yeah. be okay with it. You know, there's a point in My Neighbor Totoro, which we're not going to get into, but my point is where one of the sisters loses her younger sister, and she's mm-hmm. frantically running around just sobbing, trying to find her lost sister. She's afraid she's dead. That's mm-hmm. fucking heavy, dude. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. That is heavy, and I, I want more of that. You know, I watched uh, I watched Hugo recently, the Scorsese yeah. movie. And I do uh-huh. consider that a kid's movie, even though I think that movie is just any film lover should love it because I love George <laughs> Melies, So I'm like super in. Um, but <clears throat> like. That movie gets dark pretty dark mm-hmm. man like that that's yeah. i mean it, it's a pretty heavy story there mm-hmm. there are very like disney movies don't go there of course you mm-hmm. have something like up like my daughter won't watch up because it's too sad even though it's only really sad for like the first 15 minutes and it is right. that movie mm-hmm. f- damn near made me sob in the theater oh, like yeah. it's very sad and it's very impactful and i love disney pixar movies like mm-hmm. that's cool but man when you get something that's just a little heavier and that trusts kids To be able to feel something that allows them and pushes them emotionally and allows them to experience film in a different way. That's what I want to see. And I say all of that long uh, diatribe, if you will, uh, is leading back to Hayao Miyazaki's movies and in particular Spirited Away, where um, it's a movie that my, my daughter loves these movies, but there is such an emotional range to them um mm-hmm. of like there's awe and wonder and there's sadness and there's funny moments and there's scary moments and mm-hmm. uh, like she was freaked out by uh the kami that comes in and eats all those people you know she yes. was freaked out by the big slimy kami that comes in and and yeah. uh uh Chihiro has to clean it up and finally uh, feeds it whatever like uh some weird uh magical dumpling or something i can't remember a seed or whatever oh. but it ends up like uh curing it essentially uh like these wild things are like pretty scary man or, or, yeah. or like you said like haku when he's a dragon and he's all fucked up and and yeah. he's bloody you know like that's heavy but it's like I love oh my god and the fact like you said the whole movie they're trying to murder Chihiro <laughs> like, yes. like, or
1: enslave. Yeah. Like you said, like that's kind of the whole point of the movie. Yeah. And you know, the, the one, and the one thing that, uh, and we haven't even mentioned this yet there, there's the scene where, um, is it, I think it's Haku slices. Um, the, the witch is, Yubaba is the, Yubaba is the witch. And then Zaniba is her sister, I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And Zaniba gets, she gets, Sliced in half, like from top to bottom, yeah, like like each of like, the killer like style, dude. yeah, like literally sliced in half. And it's like, damn, that's pretty. R- <laughs> now she lives, you know, and, and and there's kind of a funny scene later on where she's like, oh, he sliced me in half, you know, and she was mad about it, but yeah. That that's pretty. I mean, that's pretty violent and Dude, graphic.
0: You know? It is absolutely wild, man. I'm 100 yeah. percent with you. Same thing goes for like, um, uh, Yubaba's baby, which is like yeah. eight feet tall. Like it's this <laughs> yeah. giant baby. That uh-huh. thing freaks me out. Like till yeah. I'm 35 years old, and the uh-huh. damn baby freaks me out because it's just weird. Like this weird uh, it, kind of like cherub right face.
1: Arm. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Like it's it's super threatening. She like hides yeah. in these pillows and she finds this giant baby and it has a uh-huh. hold of her arm and it has like a baby voice. So it's yeah. just like, I'll break your arm if you don't play with me, and then I'll scream. <laughs> you know, like and I mean, dude, it's yeah. like super creepy. I, dude, I I absolutely adore this movie. I can't talk highly enough. Uh, About it. Uh, I want to say something about the animation. This is classic Miyazaki animation. Um, You know, even whenever at this point and with Princess Mononoke, when they started using computer generated stuff, everything started by hand. And I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, that continues to the end of, of his career. He technically retired a few years back, but he has a movie they're filming right now. Uh, so I think like many people like Soderbergh and other filmmakers who retired, um, you know, it's, it comes with air quotes. It's like a, a pastor closing their sermon. You know, they have to close yeah. like 14 times. Uh, but uh, yeah, like uh, the the art, uh, Miyazaki, every movie Miyazaki puts out, uh, his art is ahead of its time. Uh, if, you, if you watch My Neighbor Totoro... For example, it's from like, I think, 88. Uh, Look at that artwork and and you might go back and watch it and you might think, well, this doesn't look that amazing. Watch another animated movie from that time and tell me that doesn't look better than all of them, right? Uh, Miyazaki has a very specific style and then coupled with his imagination is a very unique look. So if you're into animated movies and you want to see something that has a bit more gusto and looks absolutely outstanding... Uh, I would strongly encourage uh, Spirited Away or any of Miyazaki's works, really. But Spirited Away, I think in 2001, way ahead of mm-hmm. its time. I mean, really, uh, really, really impressive. Um, you know, not being super familiar with Miyazaki's work, I'm curious what you think in terms of the creativity and the imagination, because, you know, a lot of uh, uh, American or westernized animated movies, even with Disney stuff, some of it can be really creative and inventive, yeah. you know, um, up, you have a house that's carried by balloons. Um, you know, sure. Wally is in outer space and has this like weird, uh, they say it was unintentional, but this environmental message and they're tying in like messages with, you know, yeah. uh, like quote unquote, a kid's movie. Uh, you have these kind of like really weird movies, but how, how do you feel in comparison to like Miyazaki's use of imagination and creativity?
1: Yeah. it Well, it, it's a different level. You know, it's, it's a whole different level. And uh, the the about halfway through this movie, I thought if there was, there is a live action Miyazaki, uh, you know, the, there's a filmmaker who's kind of a live action version of Miyazaki, and that's Guillermo del Toro. You know, if, if you watch stuff like, uh, you know, I mean, you know, obviously, you Labyrinth*, know, Labyrinth yeah. and, but there, there's a scene in um, Hellboy 2, which is not my favorite of del Toro's movies, they it's really stunning,
0: that. but I agree with you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a, there's a scene right in the middle of that where they go into this weird, like interdimensional marketplace or something. And it's like an entirely new world. And I'm just looking at, it, I'm going, look at just the completion of, you know, the kind of the dedication to making this a thing, making it a real thing. And it, it feels like, you know, the, this whole movie felt like that sequence, where there's all of this stuff going on. You don't know what the hell any of it is, <laughs> but it feels like something, it feels like you're being dropped into the middle of something, uh, just a chaotic, you know, the, just a chaotic marketplace. Or and, and that's in a lot of ways what, what this is, right? Um just this chaotic place where people are doing 8 million different things and there are, you know, there's different kinds of, spirits and demons and you know beings of different sorts and you know they're transforming into different things and and you don't know what's what dude but it but you but it feels it still feels real you're not it doesn't feel like you're being dropped into say like if, if you go if you think of like the beginning of star wars um you know where they're in the most likely most likely cantina and there's just a bunch of just weird looking aliens running around, right? It's like, you don't know, like, these are just weird individual people. You don't, you know, like, whatever. They're just, you can see George Lucas just like, ah, uh, you know, put a third eye on this guy. And, you know, this guy has, you know, I don't know, he's got to make his arms furry, but he looks like a human. you know, here's here's another guy that just, you know, you're just like making, make me some aliens. Yeah. that That's the way I feel watching, you know, watching that I, scene. Yeah, I feel but like, watching this, I feel like everything has a name. You know, everything probably has a name and a backstory, and and there's some sort of consistency to to what it is.
0: Well, so, something I want to add to that real quick is that, like, well, I think the the term that I would use uh, to what you're saying is it feels lived in, and, yes. and much like Harry Potter, for example, you know, mm-hmm. where uh, Harry has no idea of the magical world. And then he's brought into it. We as an audience learn about it through Harry, who is also mm-hmm. ignorant of it. And so with yes. Chihiro, we as an audience are learning about this very real, very lived-in world um, through another character that gives us mm-hmm. context. Um, and 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 adding to that, though, like part—I <laughs> mean, as long as long as if you come to us saying that um, anime is worthless, as long as you know you're wrong ahead of time, uh, I'm totally fine. <laughs> Almost like he's like, I don't know, like art department, give me aliens, like weird things, third eye, you know, like all that stuff. And this one, it's like they're all (laughs) that's so funny. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you this, Joe, um, I'll give you a big you're welcome for uh, pushing you to see this. (laughs) Um, I'm so happy that you liked it, man. Uh, We will get to some more Miyazaki at some point, undoubtedly, like if I have any say (laughs) for sure. Uh, And the same goes for for Todd Haynes. I'm excited to see... uh, uh, What is it? Um, Far far From Her? Is that what it is? Far From Heaven. Thank you. I was like, wait, why can't I think of the name? Uh, Far From Heaven. I can't wait to check that out. But that's a different story. For now, I'm going to say farewell to Joe. And I will be back in just a moment. Say goodbye, Joe. Play on YouTube and also watch the movie. Uh, The channel on YouTube, Cinefix. C-I-N-E-F-I-X. Cinefix. Uh, they did something with Kenny Omega, where two of the guys wow. from Cinefix and Kenny Omega watch Spirited Away, um, and they basically just talk about it. And Kenny talks about how... Because uh, for those of you that don't know, Kenny Omega is the world champion for All Elite Wrestling, but he was in New Japan Wrestling. So he was lived in Japan for over a decade uh, yeah. as a champion there, and, and he's fluent in Japanese, and he lived that culture. He and his family lived there. So uh, he's telling them like Japanese cultural aspects. And he's talking about how, you know, Chihiro's he's very,
1: sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I wanted to, I wanted to say he's very, he very much integrates popular culture into his, into his wrestling persona as well. Oh, 100%. He does.
0: He's yeah. a hardcore gamer. So a lot of his stuff yeah. is gaming as well, but all most of it's like Japanese gaming too. And so like, you know, he's talking about how Chihiro's dad, just by how he's dressed, He's like, mm-hmm. I already know where that guy works, basically, or at least at what level he works. You know, he's like yeah. probably a middle class, upper middle class guy because he's dressed that way. You know, and and like, I don't know that, right? Like, there are yeah. things I don't know. I was even trying to do research because I, t- I I texted you like in a little over an hour before we started this. And I was like, I'm just going to put some notes together. And then an hour yeah. goes by because I'm still like adding stuff to this movie because I'm learning more and more every time I watch it and every time I read about it, you know, yeah, uh, Miyazaki's yeah. movies are so multifaceted and, uh, I mean, spirited away. Like I said, this is his highest grossing movie. This is the second highest grossing, uh, anime ever. It's also important culturally to understand. Cause you talked about how like, uh, we think about kids movies, quote unquote, differently here. Uh, Mm -hmm. anime is not inherently known as a kids' genre or anything in Japan, those are just movies, like people Mm -hmm. just make movies. There's a there are really dark anime now. We get a lot of the stuff for Cartoon Network, or we'll get stuff, you know, on uh Comedy Central or like whatever. We'll get like really random. Actually, I might have just made that up. I don't know if Comedy Central has any, but my point is, they're like. (laughs) channels that will carry some things Dragon Ball Z, Naruto uh, Mm -hmm. and you'll get even stuff like Cowboy Bebop when I was growing up at least and Mm -hmm. uh, you'll get Attack on Titan and all of these types of things, which Attack on Titan is actually a pretty good example of what I'm getting at, but there are a lot of things that we will get here but there's some really fucking sad and really dark anime Mm -hmm. out there, I mean Grave of the Fireflies is super sad, there's the Three Godfathers these are both dramas, man um, mm-hmm. like they're just normal drama movies that are just drawn, you know, like they're yeah. anime. You have stuff like Ghost in the Shell, which we had a remake, a yeah. live action remake of. Um mm-hmm. but I mean that dude, if you want to know where the Matrix came from, <laughs> like yeah. like watch yeah. some of these anime from that time with Akira, Ghost in the Shell, Ninja Scroll, like all these mm-hmm. like weird movies. Uh they're so creative and so interesting. So just to mm-hmm. give context back to like our idea of like kids movies or whatever. Miyazaki is more in line with that, especially mm-hmm. with this cuz his intent was to make it for young girls, uh, but also just to be himself, you know. And yeah. um so yeah, these movies are not necessarily anime doesn't cater to kids there. It's they're just mm-hmm. movies. And so Miyazaki's mm-hmm. not an anime filmmaker, he's just a filmmaker there. He's a well regarded uh, mm-hmm. and and highly appreciated worldwide filmmaker. Um, and mm-hmm. so uh, th- I guess one thing I want to push with Spirited Away being such a huge fan is not even just anime, not even just animated movies. If you want to watch just a good movie mm-hmm. and you can get past the eccentric dialogue delivery that every dubbed anime has where everyone seems like they're screaming all the time. you yeah. know, I uh, love that. I find that endearing. I find a certain mm-hmm. charm to it. Uh, Chihiro seems to be like overreacting and screaming to everything, but whenever you kind of get into that mode and you're like in it, it starts to feel more natural. Um, yeah. So if you have any any if you are if you deter yourself away from anime, I strongly encourage you to try out some Miyazaki because um, yes. Spirited Away is one of the most uh, creative movies animated movies, especially that I've seen. And and I'll also say to your Guillermo del Toro thing, dude, Mm. I never thought of that pan's labyrinth, man. Yeah. That's like, you know, when they have the, um, uh, mandrake underneath Uh the bed to make her, you know, her, uh, mother feel like get cured. And, um, the guy with the hands and the eyes, I mean, dude, that is, that is a Miyazaki demon, right? Like that's, um, I mean, that's, that's some crazy shit. That's a great, uh, comparison yeah. I think yeah yeah um but yeah I love it uh g- give me some more Joe do you have anything else you want to add to it <laughs> yeah, let's talk yeah
1: so you know we you talked about some of his other films the um kind of the the central idea the the theme that they're dealing with and the in the the theme of this film actually is one that um touched me pretty you know in a pretty personal spot if you excuse the way I said that <laughs> I will not <laughs> this is about yeah, for let's just edit that out. <laughs> the way the way um what what this film essentially is about is Chihiro and her family are moving to a new town, right? So she as as the film begins, they're driving to their new home. And you know, they're they're talking to her about you know, she's living in a new town, she's um gonna gonna go to a new school, you know, and they're asking how she feels about all that. And you know you can tell this is not something she necessarily wants to do you know uh, as as a an army brat growing up you know this is something that i did a lot um, so the that's where that's where the, that really this film really connected with me from the outset is it it hit that she's going to a strange new place and and it really cracked me up when as they're getting there you know her dad goes wow this looks like an abandoned amusement park And she starts complaining and I'm like, dude, you're moving to a city with an amusement park. Like, so there, you know, it's an abandoned amusement park that is right by her house. And I'm like, this is a paradise. You know, why, why are you complaining about this? You know, like, you know, as an eighties kid, I'm like, this is a place to play built in, like, this is awesome. And then, you know, of course this leads into, you know what she does, you you know, what she goes through the rest of the film. Um, which, you know, is maybe not, you know, if this happens to, to a, you know, a 10 year old me, a nine year old me, I, and obviously I'd be a bit freaked out too, but uh, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's an amazing uh, kind of way to start a movie. So it, it's, and and it carries through, you know, the, the kind of the, the metaphor of that carries through uh, that she's a stranger in this place and, and she's kind of slowly, figuring out where she can carve her own, you know, her, her own niche into, the, you know, into this brand, it's a brand new world essentially. And, you know, here literally it's, you know, it's a whole different world, but um, the, the other thing that, that hit me and there, there's this moment where, um, you know, the um, it was Mr. No-Face, right. The, this is the, the, the creature we talked about, she lets it into the to the bathhouse and it runs amuck and it's, it's disgusting and it's, you know, and it grows large, and it starts eating people, and chasing her, and and it's chasing hero and and she's you know she's fleeing, and they they jump in a boat, and it jumps in the water after her, and she's she's going to this train station to get on the train, um, and this creature is chasing her, and it's you know it's been slowly getting you know it was enormous, it was bulbous and you know hugely you know obese you know from eating people, and as it's chasing her it's getting thinner and thinner you know and it's it's losing bits of itself and and it, when it leaves the bathhouse it becomes the spirit again but it's still chasing her and they get in this boat you know and it's this whole it's almost like a chase scene and at one point she she calls it and and the woman i don't remember the woman's name who is with her she's like don't call don't draw attention to it and she just yeah. ignores her they get to the train station and it catches her as she's getting on the train and she turns around and it's standing at the, the base of the train and she's got these tickets in her hand and she goes, Oh, you want to get on the train too? Okay. And she gives the conductor the tickets. And then, and now this thing is like her companion. Yeah. And it was just, I was just like, that's just such a moment of just childhood goodness, right? It's, this is like, you know, even you look at this as, you know, someone who, maybe you don't like it first, you know, who's, who's mean to you at one point. And then, you know, at, at some point you just achieve this understanding and you just don't hate each other anymore. And now you can be friends. Yeah. And, and that's, it just, that hit me so, you know, really deeply. And I was like, that was such just this nice little, and it feels like a throwaway moment, but it's just this nice little poignant moment that shows who she is as as a character. And it was just so, it was just like utter goodness.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's almost like that Home Alone 2 where where Macaulay oh. Culkin's character, uh, Kevin sees the uh, pigeon lady, right? And, <laughs> right, And yes. he's like super mean because he's like freaked out by her because she's like scary to yeah. him, but then like eventually he wow. just walks up to her and just like, I'm sorry I yelled at you. You know, there's like this this innocence to it. Um yep. and, and I love I love that uh No Face uh like the whole every time it tries to communicate before it's eaten someone and assume they're you know Uh, identity essentially and their their attributes Mm -hmm. you hear it and it's just like uh 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 uh. like it's like a super unsettling voice to me like that is creepy to me because it's just like uh uh like and it's just the Uh same thing over and over and it's not saying anything but also like it's interesting because like it's all it in that chase scene you're talking about, it's almost like it follows or something where it's like, it's moving way slower than her, but it will not stop like aiming toward her. Right. And it is this uh, pretty intense moment. Uh, It also doesn't help that the world seems to just evolve before her eyes. Like you almost can never get like a good grasp on the geography because it seems to just like uh, evolve. Like I said, (laughs) you know, like, like there's just this, um, you know, there's this bridge that she can't breathe on or they'll see her. So she yes. has to hold her breath, but it's like, once she's passed it, of course it comes into play again later, but it's just kind of like this, uh, like weird anomaly. There's like in the bathhouse, I can never figure out like where these rooms are. And I mean, this is a compliment because it's like a dream world. I mean, it really is this very expansive place. Like I can't quite figure out where, um, let me see if I can remember his name. Uh, I'm looking at the, uh. Kamaji, I think the guy with like eight arms or whatever that has all like yeah, the little yeah. dust the little dust bunnies basically that help him um Yeah. Like uh Kamaji's like little like furnace room basically. It's like yes. I can't quite figure out where that is in relation to the bathhouse. Like I know it's below it. Yeah. But she runs runs down a fuckload of stairs to get there. Yeah. So it's like like <laughs> yeah. where is this? Why is it so deep in? Um, uh-huh. but it really is almost like a video game world too it's just like can you like beat the levels to get to the normal like the like like you're it's like a game of death like the Bruce yeah. Lee it's like i'm going to fight my way through all of these levels to get to the top you know it's like i can't figure out the geography but yeah. again that comes back to like there's like an imagination here it feels lived in but it also feels otherworldly and and so mm-hmm. creative and dreamlike um, I mean, again, I, I could just sit and gush about this movie all day because it's it's by far, you know, if I did my favorite animated movies, this would be in a top five easy, if not closer to one. Yeah. And um, yeah, huge, huge fan. Everything you brought up, like I second mm-hmm. all of that. I mean, I, I really love that. You know, I, I never thought about it that way, that that being kind of a signature moment where. Uh, he wants to get on the train and she gives that to him. But I do like, in retrospect, thinking back, it is like kind of this strangely moving scene. Yeah. Um, and uh, there, I think that there are like several of those, you know? Uh, at yes. one point, she's even kind, I believe, to uh, to uh, Yubaba, who yeah. is like essentially enslaving her. And like, um, like she's, she's always like, um, she always has this childlike innocence and much like my daughter, I can like relate to this, where my daughter is like so forgiving and so like kind and open and like wants like people to be happy and would sacrifice things she has to share with someone just so they can like get involved too. And it's very much like a Chihiro thing. Like once she can overcome her fear of being in this lost in this place, Mm -hmm. um, she's able to like befriend these people or at least show them kindness whenever maybe by other people's definition, they don't deserve it.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, yeah, all of that.
0: Yeah, dude. <laughs> so before yeah. we uh, before we completely close out here with uh, with this movie, do you have any final things you want to mention? Um, by all means, please mention them.
1: Yeah, I yeah, I I really love this movie. Um, yeah, I even I you know I'm even gonna admit I didn't want to love it at the beginning when you know when I'm turning on like eh, you know it's like like I always feel like I have to be in a certain mood to watch anime and. You know, I watched a limited amount, um, but it it just pulled me in, and it actually took me two days to finish it. Um, I I started watching it later in the evening, and I I kind of dozed off at one point, and I had to rewind, and I was like, "There's like another hour left," and then and then I just finally turned it on and just let myself go into it, and I was like, "This is just it's just wonderful." Um, it, it kind of it kind of reminds me of um, is. Now, not in terms of, of anything other than just kind of my feelings during the viewing experience of, of um, Paddington Two, which is a um, there, there's a whole story behind this. Um, that, you know, um, our our friend Evan Dossi of Midwest Film Journal, he we actually you know we we talk a lot about movies, and of course, and he watched this movie, watched Paddington Two. He saw it in the theater January of this would have been 2019 when it came out. And he told told us, uh, me and Sam and, and uh, Nick, um, that he's going to nominate this is for best picture of the year, for our critics for the IFJA awards. And we all just like snickered at him. We're like, really, really, you're going to do that? And and at first we thought he was kind of being petty, like he wants to make everybody watch it. But he went <laughs> back. The, he went back to the theater and watched it multiple times. Like he paid to see it. Um, And then he watched the the original film, and I'm and we're like, what is the what is the fixation with this movie? And he's like, you're not going to believe me. He was, you're not going to believe me until you watch it, but watch it. And of the four of us, I was the last one to watch it, and they were all, and the other three of them were like, I I thought they were messing with me. And they're like, no, seriously, we're going to vote for this. And at one point, I was like, I'm not watching this movie out of spite because. (laughs) <laughs> because you guys are being ridiculous.
0: Who's being petty now, Joe?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. And and then finally in December, we got a copy of it. You know, they sent us a copy of it. I was like, well, damn it, I have to watch it now. And I watched it and I got about I got about 15 minutes into it. And I texted them all, I messaged them all. I was like, this movie is delightful. I was like, why haven't you guys told me about this movie before? <laughs> you, know, you know, obviously, you know, I'm being facetious with them. But, but it really was, it was really just this, it was just the character of Paddington was just so intrinsically good and it somehow just turned the movie into just this magical experience. And, and that's by the end of this, it took me a little longer to get into it, but once I did, I felt exactly the same way about this, that it's just this magical experience that, that you just have to, you have to just give yourself to it and, and Stop, you know, stop being self-conscious. Like you said about the way they talk and kind of their squeaky, loud, you know, shrill voices, and you know that you're not going to necessarily understand everything what's going on while you're watching it, and you just kind of have to let it wash over you. And, w- and once you do, it is just a wonderful experience. And and it's you know that that's a, that's about that's about the highest praise I think I can give this movie is that it, it's a lot like The Wizard of Oz, but It feels a lot more real and it's just, it's an experience that, you know, you really should, you know, you're, you're, you're denying yourself something to not allow yourself to experience it.
0: Yeah. I mean, dude. uh, Wow. Yeah. So just a quick thing. I took my daughter to see uh, Paddington, the first one in theaters. We had a, a movie theater that was starting to go out of business. Um, but they had really cheap movies. You could just go there and it was like a set fee and you can just watch sure. a movie. So I would, I, it was the only kids' movie out at the time, I think, at least at this theater. And so I took her there thinking, I'm just going to take her to a kids' movie. And I, I loved the first one. <laughs> like I mean, not like five out of five oh. star kind of love, but I mean, like, you know, I like really right. liked it a lot. And I felt like there was an emotional dynamic there. And I just kept thinking the Brits got it, dude. Like the Brits are way yeah. better at this than us. And yeah. uh, so I'll have to check out Paddington, too, because I never got around to it, it as one I wanted to see. But I have high mm-hmm. hopes for it, man.
1: Yeah, and True Story Paddington 2 was the IFGA's runner up for Picture of the Year. That is so that, awesome. Uh, I think it was 19 and we were not the only critics group to give it that kind of love. Uh there was at least I don't remember who else, there was at least one or two others that that gave it some recognition as in in the top 10 in um, yeah. their top 10s or you know they, they got some sort of awards for it. So um I was really surprised to see that
0: yeah, yeah. well, I'll have to check that out, and I hope I hope our listeners do too. But before you get to Paddington 2, which uh, we've been putting over pretty good, uh, <laughs> make sure you check out Hayao Miyazaki's Spirited Away. If you've seen it before, Absolutely. go check it out again. And if you yes. weren't into it, you sick, demented sinner, uh, <laughs> yeah. you rewatch it and then send us <laughs> your feedback to Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the places. You can send feedback to mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Um, Joe, how do you feel about this?
1: Yeah. I mean, geez, you know, please tell us about it. Yeah. If if you think anime sucks and it's a waste of time and we're stupid for saying, you know, for saying otherwise, come on, let us know. We want to know. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't mind, I don't mind you telling me how wrong I am. Um, I've, you know, I have people telling me I'm wrong my whole life.
0: (laughs) I mean, as long as, long as if you come to us saying that, um, anime is worthless, as long as you know, you're wrong ahead of time. uh, I'm totally fine.
1: Yeah, you're wrong. You know, Uh, I, I, you know, I, I should amend that statement. I've had, I've had completely backwards, wrongheaded people telling me that I was wrong my whole life. So, you know, there you go.
0: (laughs) You know, I'll tell you this, Joe, um, I'll give you a big, you're welcome. For uh, pushing you to see this, <laughs> yes, absolutely.
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I'm so happy that you liked it, man. Uh, we will get to some more Miyazaki at some point, undoubtedly. Like, if I have any say, for sure. Uh, yeah. And the same goes for for Todd Haynes. I'm excited to see. Uh, uh, what is it? Um, far, far from her. Is that what it is? Far, far from heaven. Far from yeah. heaven. Thank you. I was like, wait, yeah. why can't I think of the name? Uh, <laughs> far from heaven. I can't wait to check that out. But that's a different story. For now. I'm gonna say farewell to Joe, and I will be back in just a moment. Say goodbye, Joe.
1: Goodbye, Joe.
0: All right, all right, all right, I get it. We're an hour and 45 minutes or so into it. I didn't quite meet our mark, but you know what? It's not freaking two hours. We're getting there. We're making progress. Come on, support us. Come, get out of here. All right, check this out. We just had an awesome conversation about not only Spirited Away, which I love Miyazaki, but we also talked about Safe, Todd Haynes' film from 1995. I hope you guys check those out. If you haven't seen them already, and even if you have, give them another watch. Uh, see if you agree or disagree, have an updated uh, opinion on it. Remember, next week I'm going to be sitting with Joe and hopefully an extra guest, and we're going to be talking a little bit about Kinji Fukasaku, an awesome Japanese filmmaker that was doing stuff... I don't even remember back in possibly even the late 50s. I know he's definitely active in the 60s, but like way back all the way until 2000. I believe he died in 2002 or 2003. Um, But I know that uh, Battle Royale 2 was being made and and he never he didn't live long enough to completely finish it. Um, But anyways, we're watching uh, Battles Without uh, Honor and Humanity. Uh, it's the first film in the five film series called *The Yakuza Papers* by Kenji Fukasaku. We're gonna watch *Battles Without Honor and Humanity*. Go check it out. It's on Amazon Prime for free. You can just go watch it. It's awesome. We're also gonna be looking at uh, Kenji Fukasaku's probably his most famous. Um, I don't even, I, I'm Maybe it's a cult classic. I don't really know what to call it. All I know is it's *Battle Royale*. It's from the year two thousand, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy that as well. So, please, if you get a chance. Definitely, definitely watch both of those films so you can be in on all the fun with us. Also, uh, please do us a favor. And if you would, please like, subscribe, follow, whatever it is, wherever you're getting this, wherever you're hearing this. Please follow us, rate us, uh, give us a a fun review. Uh, Unless you really hate us, then, I mean, be honest. But hopefully you'll give us a good review. And that really does help us. It it helps us kind of uh, get more... Uh, get out there a bit more and uh, and everything so yeah I'm talking to all my friends I'm talking to you Brandon I'm talking to you Grant I'm talking to all you guys you can you can push stars come on calling you out come on anyways uh, I love all of you guys seriously um, we this is just such a joy every week to come on here and just talk for you guys uh, we really appreciate you listening uh, next week Kenji Fukasaku definitely go check out those movies I don't know what else to say other than you know Hey, see you later, good night, good luck, hey, take it easy.